Turn with me, please, to the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 6. I did bring one evening. Uh, I started this a few weeks ago. I'll just do a short recap. And then we'll move into the rest of the, the, the message which the Lord has led on my heart for you. Bless the Lord. Galatians 6, please, in verse 14. Kyle, can you just turn me down a little? I think I'm a bit booming here, please. Thank you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Let's pray. Father, will you settle us in your house, in your presence? And Lord, would you let all of us know the very nearness of your Son in our lives? If there's one unsaved tonight, would you draw them to him? If there's one weary, would you strengthen them? If there's one wayward, would you call them? And draw them back. We'll worship you, Jesus. And we love you, Lord. And there's no one like you. Glorify your name, we pray. For Jesus' sake, we ask it, Father. Amen. Now, in case I missed it, there is a crash tonight. Tracy, isn't that right? If the children would like to slip out, I meant to mention that before we brought the word. There is a crash tonight. If your children would like to go out, and if not, they're fine to sit in the meeting then. That's fine, okay? Just to let you know there's one available. The Lord bless you. The crucified Christ, the crucified world, and the crucified Christian. Paul says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The three of these are in one verse. The crucified Christ, the crucified world, and the crucified Christian. Let me just tell you what we were the last time that we brought something on this message. We told you that in the book of Galatians, as Paul is writing this, it's compiled with comparisons the whole way through the book. For example, in chapter 1 and verse 6, He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into, notice, the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Paul is saying that he marveled that the Galatian believers or those who profess Christ around Galatia, he says, I marvel, I'm surprised, I'm astonished, I'm astounded that you could move away from Christ to follow another gospel. This seemed so unreal to Paul, and it just seemed totally and completely impossible to Paul, because to Paul, Christ was his all and all. Christ was his everything. And outside of Christ, Paul knew he had nothing and was nothing. Notice what he says, I marvel. He says, you've heard the gospel of the grace of Christ. Saved by grace through faith. 
He says, and you've moved away from the gospel of grace to a gospel of tradition and a gospel of works. You've moved away to another gospel, which is a false gospel. And do you know many people today, whether whatever denomination they grew up in, they have grown up in a false gospel. If they don't know Christ as their Savior, and they have never trusted Him as their Lord, if they haven't been saved by grace, they have grown up under a false gospel, another gospel, not the true gospel. There's only one gospel, as in that's incorporated in the gospel of the kingdom for salvation, that is the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. Here people say, well, I go to church and here's my gospel. I go to church or I do good works or I'm not a bad person or my minister says, we'll all end up in heaven one day. Just be who you are and and be a good family member or whatever. And we end up with another gospel, especially uh, sent forth and perpetrated from many pulpits across our land. And Paul says that ye are so soon removed from the true gospel, the gospel of the grace of Christ, the gospel that Jesus died for you, the gospel that you cannot be saved on your own merit, the gospel that you must receive Christ by grace through faith, the gospel of his precious shed blood and only his blood, the gospel of the dying lamb, the Lord Jesus, and his resurrection again. And Paul says, him and in him alone, and in him and nothing else, you find salvation. And we're told that it's a gospel plus something. Christ plus works. Christ plus alms and deeds. Christ plus indulgences. Salvation in the denomination. Salvation in a church. Salvation in a person. The only person we find salvation in is in Christ and in Christ alone. There's no salvation in the Jewish temple, Paul says. That's what Paul was writing this for. The Judaizers were going back. They claimed Christ at one point and many were turning to works again. Many were turning to the slaying of lambs and bulls and goats and they were turning back to Judaism. They were turning back to works They were turning back to the temple, the actual edifice where they went and said God met them there. Even though when Christ cried from the cross of Calvary, it is finished that the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom and we had free and full access into the presence of God, not just the high priest once a year. Paul says, you're going back to that? You're going back to a mortar and a brick and a cement temple, an ornate building, rather than coming to the living Christ. He says, you're coming back. You're going back to that. He says, I marvel. He says, I'm shaken, as it were, to my very core, to my very inner being and the foundation of all that the gospel is, that you are now putting and placing your trust on something else other than Christ and Christ alone. I ask you, what do you place your trust in? For your salvation. Is it Christ. And Christ alone. For nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. 
Here is a comparison with the true gospel. Paul says the gospel, he says, is the gospel of the grace of Christ and another gospel or a false gospel. Let me just run through some of the scriptures I gave you when we were speaking about this. You can get it on part one or download it if you, if you would like to. And it goes into it in further detail. Paul says that salvation is no more in a temple. Salvation is Almighty God being revealed, made known to us in the flesh, in a person, in a man. And Paul sets him forth and says that Jesus Christ is God. He alone is God, he alone is Savior, and he alone is Lord. Now notice what the Bible says about the coming of Christ in Isaiah 32 and 2. And a man shall be as in hiding place. Notice it's not that the temple will be a hiding place, but a man shall be as in hiding place. Here speaking of the coming of Christ, Matthew 13 and 54 It was said of the Lord Jesus, Whence hath, notice this man, this wisdom and these mighty works. Verse 56 says, Whence hath this man all these things, they said as they looked at him. Because he was unique. Because he was different. Because when he spoke, he spoke with authority and with power. And not as the scribes and their teachers. He spoke with the very eternal being within him. He is eternal as to his deity. And yet he was in time as to his humanity. And here they look at him and say, where did this man get this wisdom and get these words from? Luke 15 and 2, they said of our Lord Jesus, this man receiveth sinners. And then, of course, in John 7 and 46, it says, never man speak like this man. There's no one could talk like him. There's no one could fulfill the word like him. There's no one had authority like him. There was no one like him at all, ever. And now they look at him and say, never man spake like this man. John 11 and verse 47 says, this man doeth many miracles. These people are flabbergasted as it were. These people are blown away by looking at this person. He's a man of flesh and blood and bone. Yet within him, he is the fullness of all deity. Acts 13 and 48 says this, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Did you hear that? That through this man, through Christ and through no other man, through no other means nor other methods is preached the forgiveness of sins. People say they'll do indulgences and people say they'll pay, they'll pay money. People say they'll do all sorts of works that they hope to get to heaven. They hope to enter the kingdom through their own merit and through ever, whatever they can do. But the Bible says, through this man, the Lord Jesus Christ has preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Do you know when Christ gave up the ghost and died on the cross? And in Mark's Gospel 15 and 39, it says that the centurion turning and looking upon this man, hanging, soaked and covered in blood and sweat. Notice what it says. Truly, he said, this man was the Son of God. He's seen him as more than just an ordinary man. Hebrews 3 and 3 says, this man 
was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Hebrews 7 and 24 says of the Lord Jesus, But this man, because he continueth forever after an unchangeable priesthood. In other words, Jesus is now in heaven as a man. As a man, flesh and bone, not blood, flesh and bone. He is a man in the glory. He is a man who is praying for you. He is a man called our great high priest. And it says, this man has an unchangeable priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus, when he offered himself, was the final sacrifice forever. There was no papal mass. There was no Jewish altar. There was nothing that can make a sacrifice or an atonement for sin ever again but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, so Paul, looking at this man, looking at Christ, he says to the Galatians, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him. Am I speaking to someone who has been removed from him? Am I speaking to someone whose heart is removed from him? You're so soon removed. Something's happened, troubles came, whatever the excuse may be, but you've been removed from him. In other words, you removed yourself. You've backslidden in heart and went cold and wayward and weary. And you've fallen away from him. Tonight the Lord calls you back. Tonight the Lord calls you to come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Notice this. Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. This same Jesus whom Paul spoke of, this same Jesus is coming again. And this same Jesus is a man who's coming in the glory of his Father. And when he comes in the glory of his Father, those who are saved, blood-washed, born-again, spirit-filled believers, we will rise to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye to be fashioned like only he is in his own glorious body, and we will return to this earth to rule and reign with him forever. Are you saved? Are you saved? Notice this. Notice this. The reformer Martin Luther, I mentioned this, quoted this on our first part. Notice what he says of the cross of Christ. He says, Christ took our sins and the sins of the whole world, as well as the Father's wrath on his shoulders. And he has drowned them both in himself. So that we thereby reconcile to God and become completely righteous. Let me say this one more time, that you may get it into you for this is truth. Christ took our sins and the sins of the whole world. 
as well as the Father's wrath on his shoulders. And he has drowned them both in himself, so that we are thereby reconciled to God and become completely righteous. In other words, the wrath of God was upon you. The wrath of God was being held back by the love of God. The only thing that stopped God's wrath being outpoured upon you was his great love for you. His love was like the wall of a dam and his wrath was like the water behind it. And God's love held back his wrath and his son died in our place. And he drowned both the wrath of God and all our sins in himself. How can one drown? How can a man drown the sins, our sins and the sins of the whole world and the wrath of the Father? The indignation of his wrath against sinners. How can one do that? One man. Because he, within that man, is deity and eternity himself. If he was not God, and if he's not eternal, then you and I are still in our sin. And you and I are lost. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Notice this. Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him. How can you? Friend, how could you even think your works are enough? How could you even think that your payments are enough? How could you even think that pilgrimages are enough? How dare you come to God with something in your hands that's pitiful and sinful, like a filthy rag, to offer for your own sin. And God would look at your offering, then look at the value of his son, this man. Then look at the value of his son, the apple of his eye and the darling of his bosom. He would look at his cross and see his suffering and see his bleeding and his dying. And then look at your offering. You'd be like Cain. The works of my hands, O God, I bring to thee. And God would reject your offering because he supplied a lamb. He supplied the lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. God supplied the Lamb. Don't you supply your own hand. One old Puritan once said, it's a destructive addition to add anything to Christ. It's a destructive addition to add anything to Christ. So, in our verse that we have read our text this evening, the Apostle Paul shows us first the crucified Christ. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is emphatic when he wants to tell you something. God forbid. 
The way this reads, it's emphatic, it's, it's loud, it's expressive. Paul looks at it, and, and they look at Paul, and they say, Paul, you must be some man now. Surely in your merit, Paul, and you growing up in the Pharisee's tradition, and you probably being a, a junior son, member of the Sanhedrin, and you, Paul, who persecuted the early church, and now you've changed your life around. Surely, Paul, all that you have done, you're worthy of glory. Paul emphatically turns around and says, God forbid! It's way we God forbid. In other words, never let it be so said. Do you want me to give you the NIV version, the Northern Ireland version? Get away all that way! That's it. That's your NIV, your Northern Ireland version. Nearly inspired. Notice this. Paul says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul sets forth the crucified Christ. And it's only by grace through faith that a man can be saved. See the word here, God forbid that I should glory. It's a big word, it's kalkaume. And in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I've mentioned the verse it also was used again, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The word boast is the exact same word for glory that Paul uses for glorying other than in the cross. And this word here, Paul is actually saying, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man would come to God with some sort of glory of his own. Lord, I think I should enter through the so-called party gates, and I think I should be there in your kingdom, because, you know, I paid a lot of money to the church. Or because, you know, I'm not really a bad person, I never did anyone any harm. Or because I went to Donna Cloney Elam, especially when they changed the time to six o'clock. I'm not a good boy, girl. And when that day would come and you would bring that to God, you would be boasting in yourself. Paul says, God forbid. On that day, I'll stand before him. And the Lord would say, have you anything to add? My lips will stay shut. Except for saying, saved by grace alone. Sovereign grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul makes mention in verses 27 to 29 that God hath chosen foolish things to confound the wise, and the weak to confound the mighty, and the base things, and so on. Verse 29, listen to what he says, that no flesh should glory. It's the same word. That no flesh should boast that no flesh should glory. No, brother, see in your weakest time, that's when God gets the glory. Sister, when you're feeling at your weakest, that's when God gets the glory. For when we're on top of the mountain, and when we're feeling great, sure, we think we do it. But do you see when you're at the lowest of the low, and only God can answer, 
and only God can bring you through and you don't know how you're going to make it and suddenly you're out the other side and you're on the top of the mountain and you're looking down upon all your problems and you've been led to the rock that is higher than yourself. You see, it was him all the time. It was always him. Nothing of yourself. Listen to what James says in James 4 and 16. James says, But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Now let me put this straight to you. There's nothing wrong with rejoicing. It's what we rejoice in and whom we rejoice in. But now you rejoice. It's the same word for glory. It's the same word for boast. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All rejoicing is evil. In other words, Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm bringing you the work of my hands. I'm bringing you the fruit of my labor. I'm bringing you, Lord, the the, the churchianity and the denominationalism that I have. And I'll bring all that to you, Lord, that I may receive salvation. Bible says it's evil. It's evil. Christ plus works. Christ plus buying at idols. It's evil. It's evil. People do it with good intention, but their intentions aren't truly good. People are very sincere, but they're very sincerely wrong. All our boastings is evil. Listen to this. What do we rejoice in? What do we boast in and what do we glory in? Paul says in Romans 5 and 11, but we also joy. It's the same word. For glory, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Gary and the team led us on a a worship set there and we sang part of it was, I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm saved and I know that I am. Now folks, I want to ask you something. Is that boasting and is that evil? For you and I to say that and sing that. People may say you're presumptuous. I've heard even some people say you'll not know till you get there. But the Bible says that we can joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That here and the now we have a fullness of assurance that Christ dying on the cross has paid our debt. We are justified. We are righteous. We are sanctified through the Spirit and the Word. The very Word of God says, you can sing with all of your heart if you're in Christ and blood washed. I'm saved and I know that I am. Not in boasting of ourselves, which is evil, but we're boasting in what Christ has done for us. What Christ has done And he alone 
In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, as I said, he was looking to the Judaizers, going back to the temple. And he's saying, you've missed the point. I can't believe it that you're thinking of going back to that, to where God has called you to the grace of Christ. Secondly, the crucified world. That was the crucified Christ. There is the crucified world. Paul looks at the world around him. And he sees it's no more appeal or influence on him. Paul's glory, his boasting, his joy, and his rejoicing was in nothing else than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed at Calvary. You see, the cross to the Jews was an object of shame. Christ died on the cross. They looked at him, and all they saw was shame. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The Bible says he was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, that's all you're worth. To be crucified with thieves and robbers and murderers. To be cast outside the old city walls and through the gate, right to where the rubbish dump is. And where we burn the carcass of the rubbish, we'll crucify you there. That's what they thought of Christ. That's what they thought of him. The world was crucified to Paul since he met the Lord Jesus. Because the cross was an object of shame to them and their carnal thinking. But Paul says, but for me, I glory in his cross. They're all saying it's a shame. It's a disgrace. Look at him. He's their savior. But Paul says, I glory in him. I glory in him. I rejoice in him. My boast is in him alone. But Paul, did you not see he was kneeled hand and foot? But Paul, did you not see he's among the transgressors and he's accursed? He's a shame. He's a disgrace. Paul looks at him and says, he's my Lord. That's my God. He's my Savior. That's my King. What do you think when you look at him at the cross? Do you say, there is my King? When the world is ashamed of him, are you afraid of what your friends would think or what your work colleagues would say or what family members would retort back to you? You walk in and you say, I got saved, I belong to Christ. Or I've been saved many years and you've just drifted from the cross. Are you ashamed of him? Paul says, I glory in him. I boast and rejoice in him. You see, 
God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, by whom the world is crucified unto me. See, since he died for me and took it all, this word means nothing. See, everything I once held dear. See, every once that thing I labored for. You see all the, the, the stuff of my teaching and my upbringing and, and the very wealth that I had. See, everything that I could call my own. Everything that had me driving for more. Everything that, that, that was in my desires and my will. He says, everything that I ever was, everything that I ever had, he says, I count it as dung. It's excrement. In fact, if you read the Greek, it gives the idea, and it's a revolting idea, gives the idea of excrement being dropped and going back to eat it. It's the idea of it. If I turn back to that, it's like me eating excrement. I wonder. I wonder whenever Christians are turning back to all these things and are helping others to turn back the works and labors of their hands and Jewish temples and Catholic altars and, and whatever else. And I wonder where they are. Paul says it's like excrement to me. That world, he says, I came from is crucified. It's dead to me. The word word here is cosmos. It means the present condition of human affairs. It means this world's system of things. In other words, the world which is allied to the flesh and calls me, the world which is allied to the flesh and draws me, he says, it's dead. It's crucified. Nowadays, it's see how much of the world we can bring into the church. And see how much of the world we can bring into our Christian lives. Paul says the world was dead to him. The actual idea here is the world is crucified unto me, and it is it has been crucified in Christ, and it still is. That's the way it reads. It still is today. Old Thomas Watson said this All the danger is when the world gets into your heart. The water is useful for the sailing of the ship. And all the danger is when the water gets into the ship. So the fear is when the world gets into the heart. Paul says, it's dead to me, I live for Christ. Thirdly and lastly, thank you for your attention. Galatians 6 and 14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me, listen, and I unto the world. I am crucified unto the world. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2 and 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I'm breathing but I'm dead. And here's one all of us can look at. Here's some of the contrasts for a moment, for a couple of minutes just to look at when you're reading through the book of Galatians. We have the true gospel and another gospel. We have works and grace. We have the flesh and the spirit. We have the bond woman, Hagar, and we have the free woman, Sarah, 
of Abraham's seed. We have the covenant of Sinai where the law and the commandments is given and the covenant of grace or the everlasting covenant of blood at Calvary. We have the, co- the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men. But listen, this is where it all rolls up into. We have the inheritors of the kingdom and the rejected from the kingdom. Galatians 5 and 9 Rather, 5.19. The apostle says these words. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you, in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the rejected. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meek, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now listen, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. Christ's people crucify the flesh with the affections of, on the lusts. In Matthew 16, the Lord Jesus says, If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Everyone has a cross of their own to carry. But in Christ's cross, we see our salvation. But taking up our own cross, we see our sanctification and our separation. I'm closing with this. Stay with me. The word here for Jesus when he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The word deny here is the word aparneomai. It means to forget oneself. How do you forget yourself? To lose sight of oneself. To lose sight of one's own interests. To affirm that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone else. And that's what Peter did when he says, I don't know the man three times. And the cock would crow and he would go out and weep bitterly. He totally and completely denied Christ. But the crucified Christian is to deny themselves. Do you know what that means, brother? See, when you're going to witness and you say, I'd be rejected if I witness. You're crucified. You're not alive. Forget yourself. Do you know what that means, sister, brother? Whenever someone's sick and you're going to pray for them, but they might reject you, or what if it doesn't happen? What if something doesn't work? You're to get out of the road. You're dead. You're crucified with Christ. In other words, his cross brings our salvation. But us crucified in him and carrying our own cross means that we are dead and Christ is alive in us. It means to follow means to walk the same path and road as another. In other words, you're growing up in the sonship and in the daughterhood. You're growing up and you and I are growing up in the Christ. You know what's wrong with many of us? We just need to get out of the road. We need to get out of the road and let God be God. I finish with this. The second denial the Lord Jesus says in 
Luke 12 and 9. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. He that denieth me, he that totally disowns me. In the presence of men shall be utterly denied in the presence of the angels of God. See the second denial there shall be denied in the presence of the angels of God. It's even stronger than the first word denied. For if you deny Christ, if you deny Christ before men, on that day, there's a judgment throne is set, and the angels are around about, and Christ is sitting in a splendor. This man, the crucified, risen, glorified Christ, when you stand before him, you denied him before men. The idea is, I will deny you before the angels. It's a stronger word, and it means I will totally and completely, without reservation, deny you too. I'll deny you. Wow. The crucified Christ, the crucified world, the crucified Christian. Christian, you're dead, but you're alive. But you're alive in him, which means he's alive in you, which means you and I are to take the gospel and preach to every creature and the whole world. God bless his word tonight to all of our hearts for his name's sake.